So there are certain things that I don't understand. Now, there's a lot of things I don't understand, but there are things I don't understand how they work. And it, it doesn't change the fact that they work. It doesn't change the fact that they, that they do what they're supposed to do. For example, I don't understand all the workings of the inner workings of an internal combustion engine. I don't understand how it works. All I know is I put foot on pedal, car go fast. That's all. And for some of you who have ever been stuck behind me, it's not fast enough. But uh, if I put foot on pedal, car go fast. I, I know that that works, even though I don't know how the engine works. Um, I, I have this device in my pocket. It's, it's called a, a cell phone. And uh, so I have this cell phone. I don't understand how this thing works. I can't tell you about all the technology inside and how that works, but I know that if I uh, enter my code and everything like that and I can look up stuff and, and I can have the answer to any question uh, that, that could possibly be asked uh, in, in less than five seconds. You know, what time does everything at GFCC start? 6.30, what do you know? Uh, it, it knows. Um, so I don't understand how it works, but I know that it works. When it comes to following Jesus, I don't understand how that works sometimes. I don't understand God's love. I don't understand God's grace. Uh, I don't understand how God can love me when I, uh, you know, every day when I'm such a clod. I, I don't understand how God can forgive me when time after time after time I mess up and I mess up and I mess up over and over and over again. How can God love me and how can God forgive me when I'm such a mess up? And maybe you wonder the same thing. And maybe you're thinking, man, Sean, I got that same question. You know, how could God possibly love me when I know that I keep messing up my life? Or how could God forgive me time and again when I keep screwing things up? Or maybe you wonder, you know, it's like, how am I ever going to get better at this following Jesus thing? Am I ever going to get better at being a follower of Christ? Because sometimes, I, I'll admit, I, I just don't get it. I, I, I know what I'm supposed to do, and yet, like Paul said in Romans, I don't know why I don't do the things I should do, and I don't know why I do the things that I shouldn't do. And, and it's just when I, when I think about what it means to follow Jesus, I, I stink at it. And maybe you feel the same way. Like you just don't get it sometimes. Like you know you, you've been going to church for a while, you've been going to church for many years, and you think, man, I should... I should be better at this by now. But yet I'm not. I don't get it. Well, here's the thing, folks. We're not the only ones who don't get it. Jesus' disciples, <laughs> those guys, when they were walking around with Jesus, they didn't get it either. They didn't. And that's what we're going to talk about today, about how we don't get it, but we're not alone. Just because we don't get it doesn't mean that we won't get it. It doesn't mean that we won't get home. We are going to continue our series today in the book of Mark. Now, the book of Mark is a gospel, and the gospel is just a simple, a fancy way of saying it's a biography of Jesus. And this biography of Jesus was written by a man named Mark, who was a traveling companion of the apostle Peter. And Peter was one of Jesus' closest friends and disciples. And when Peter went out and told people about Jesus, and he preached about Jesus' miracles and stories, and he preached about Jesus' teachings... Mark would write them all down and then he compiled them into this biography known as the, the book of Mark. So we've been studying the book of Mark since the beginning of the year. There are 16 chapters in Mark's gospel and there are 16 weeks from January to Easter weekend. 
And so we are going to take one chapter a week leading up to uh, Resurrection Weekend, uh, to Easter Weekend. And just a reminder, we do have, we're going to have five services for Easter Weekend this year. Five services. So we're going to have two on Saturday night at 4 o'clock and 5.30, and three on Sunday morning at 8, 9.30, and 11. So if you want to invite your friends uh, and let them know, hey, we're going to have five services, and all services will be live. We'll, we'll be ready to go. They're all going to be the same. Uh, and we hope that you'll come and join us for Easter weekend and invite your friends and family to come and join you too. Um, but uh, until then, we're going to keep going through the book of Mark. And, and this week is chapter 8. We're halfway home. we got half the book to go still. And so we got plenty of more adventures to go on with Jesus over the next eight weeks. Uh, but for today, we're in chapter 8. If you brought a Bible, great, turn, it, turn to uh, Mark chapter 8 in your Bible. If you didn't bring one, you can grab one out of the chair in front of you. It's on page 713 of that Bible, page 713. Um, or if you want to follow along on your smartphone or tablet, you can go ahead and do that using a, a Bible app like Bible Gateway or YouVersion. Uh, and we'll also put the verses that we're going to read up on the screen. We're not going to read every verse today uh, in the chapter, but uh, we are going to read a bunch of them. Uh, and also, uh, one other thing, uh, next Sunday night at Unashamed Night, we're going to unveil a new tool that you can use here at GFCC. And it, it's going to be great. It's going to be fantastic. You're going to love it. Um, so that's next Sunday night, Unashamed Night. Uh, but for today, like I said, we're in Mark chapter 8. And Jesus has been traveling around with his disciples. There's some themes that we have noticed in the book of Mark. One of those themes is that people are amazed by Jesus. Everywhere he goes, uh, in his interactions with people, they are absolutely astonished and awestruck and amazed by Jesus. Another theme that we have seen uh, is this theme of on the move, that Jesus is on the move. Everywhere he goes in the book of, John, uh, book of Mark, he's moving somewhere. He's walking, he's on a boat, going across the Sea of Galilee. Uh, he's going places, and he's always on the move. That's why we call this series Walking with Jesus. And then uh, the other theme that we've noticed uh, is that of faith, and that there are some people in the Gospel of Mark who have a lot of faith, and, and people who just who really do seem to get it. And then there are people who should have lots of faith in Jesus as the Messiah, as the Savior, and they don't get it. They don't understand that Jesus is who he said he was. They don't understand he was the fulfillment of prophecy. They don't understand that he was the Son of God, the Savior of the world. They don't get it. And those are the religious people. Those whom you would expect to, to get it the most got it the least. And so Jesus uh, has a run-in in chapter 8 with the Pharisees. We're going to see that in just a few moments. But before he does, he has a miraculous feeding. Now, a couple chapters ago, we saw that Jesus fed 5,000 men, plus women and children, so about maybe somewhere between fifteen and 25,000 people, with five little loaves of bread and two little fish. So with five little loaves of bread and two little fish, Jesus performed a miracle and fed thousands of people. Well, he does it again. That miracle, the feeding of the 5,000, is found in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This feeding of 4,000 people is found only in Matthew and Mark's Gospel, but it's just as powerful. Look at uh, Mark chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. During those days, another large crowd gathered. And that's another thing we've seen, that large crowds gather around Jesus everywhere he goes. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. Now, one of the interesting things about this passage, uh, about this word, is this ancient Greek word, splachna, that means compassion 
or it literally means guts or bowels or intestines. It's that place where you hurt for somebody that you love. When you love someone so much that when you see them in pain and when you see them hurting and you see them suffering, it causes you pain. It causes you to hurt right here. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? You know when you, when you see your child and, and it hurts to, to see them in pain or you see your parents in pain or you see a, a brother, a sibling, a sister in pain, when you see a, a good friend in pain and when you see that pain and it hurts so bad that it hurts you right here, that's compassion. And that's how Jesus felt about people. That's how Jesus felt about the crowds around him who had no food. They were hungry. In fact, they were so hungry, he said, this is what Jesus says about them. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. And the disciples, like I said, one of the themes of chapter 8 is they just don't get it. They're like, well, where are we going to find food for all these people? It's not like McDonald's has been invented yet. You know, here's the thing. So like Jesus says, what do you got? And they said, we have these seven loaves of bread, seven small little loaves of bread, and we have some fish. And Jesus takes the, the fish and the loaves and he, he breaks them up and he, he thanks God for them and he blesses them and, and he starts to divide it among the people. Even if McDonald's had been invented, it would have been like the smallest menu because apparently the only thing the people ate in the first century was, was bread and fish. So like the only thing on the, McDonald's, the first century Palestine McDonald's would be like the filet of fish sandwich and that's all you can get. That's the only thing they have. It's the filet of fish sandwich. First service didn't laugh at that joke, and you guys did. And that's why you're my favorite. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. It's the little things that make Sean happy when you laugh at my jokes. So, but, uh, so Jesus takes this, this small little bottle of food, this seven loaves of bread and, this, and a few fish, and he does the same thing that he did before with the five loaves. And, and there were seven baskets left over. And so the people ate everything they needed, and there was, you know, there was plenty, of, plenty left over. Um, well, the, uh, <laughs> um, the Pharisees have been hanging around, and the Pharisees were like the holy people of Jesus. They were the religious people of Jesus' day. The only problem is the Pharisees were hypocrites. Like, they put on a good show on the outside, but on the inside, they were really ugly, and they were far from God. They acted all holy, and they acted all righteous, but they did not really love God like they should. And they didn't want to uh, obey for the right reasons. They didn't want to do the right things for the right reasons. Rather, they did them for the wrong reasons. They wanted to do it for the applause and the approval of people. So Jesus uh, is, is does this miracle, and the Pharisees come up to him. And the Pharisees ask for a sign. They want a, a heavenly sign. They want a miraculous sign. And this is what Jesus says in verse 12. He sighed deeply and said, why does this generation ask for a miraculous sign? I tell you the truth, no sign will be given to it. Now you may be wondering, Jesus just did a miraculous sign. He just fed 4,000 people, plus 4,000 men, plus women and children. And the Pharisees have seen him do other miracles. They've seen him heal people. They've seen him uh, cast out demons. They've seen him feed thousands and thousands of people in miraculous ways. So why are they asking for a miraculous sign? They're asking for a specific kind of miraculous sign. They want an apocalyptic sign. They want a sign of judgment. They want Jesus to rain down judgment on the enemies of Israel. They want Jesus to, to bring judgment on the enemies of Israel, the, the Romans specifically, and the Gentiles. 
And that's why Jesus says, no, why do you keep asking for a miraculous sign? There is no sign. That's not why I came. Jesus had a full understanding of his purpose and plan. That Jesus says, I didn't come to, to bring judgment and condemnation and destruction on my enemies, on your enemies. I came to bring love to the world. I, I came to bring love to my enemies. And that's why he commanded us to love everyone, including our enemies. So he says, no sign. No sign for you. He said. Favorites, love you guys. Love you guys. So the disciples and Jesus, they lead the Pharisees. They get in the boat. They're going to go across the Sea of Galilee to the, to the western coast of the Sea of Galilee. And the disciples forget to bring bread. There were seven basketfuls. These guys just don't get it. They didn't bring any bread. They have one loaf of bread between them all. And then this is what happens in verses 15 and 16. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, it is because we have no bread. And Jesus is like, you guys don't get it. You just don't get it. When he talks about being careful about the yeast of the Pharisees, how many of you make homemade bread? Anybody still make homemade bread? A few of you just like, yeah. How many of you have had homemade bread? Or, okay, so okay, you know, it's really good stuff. But uh, when you make homemade bread, you have to put yeast in the, in the dough in, for the dough in order to rise. And it has to permeate the entire batch of dough in order to get the dough to rise. And Jesus is warning his disciples and telling them that the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy, hypocritical teachings, and the, he, the yeast of Herod, this, this hypocrisy, he's like, don't let that permeate your life. Don't be permeated by the yeast, by this hypocrisy. Don't be like the Pharisees, who are hypocrites. Instead, be the real deal, be the genuine article. Be the real thing. And the disciples, like I said, they don't get it. You know, it's because we don't have any bread. No, it's not because you don't have any bread. Pay attention. Verse 17, aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? And he reminds them about feeding the 5,000. He reminds them of feeding the 4,000. And he's telling them, you guys don't get it. Look at verse uh, 21. He said to them, do you still not understand? You guys don't get it. And then we come to a story where the, uh, the disciples get in the boat and Jesus gets on the boat and they go to a town of the, the town of Bethsaida, which is on the northeast corner of the Sea of Galilee. So it's on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And they get there and some guys bring a blind man to Jesus. And, and they're in this town of Bethsaida and, and Jesus is going to heal this man. But he, he leads him out of the city to a remote location, spits on his hands and puts his fingers on the man's eyes. Now, when he pulls his fingers away, he asks the man, can you see? Yes, but not clearly. He says, well, what do you see? I see people, but they look like trees walking around. In other words, he couldn't see clearly. His eyes had only been halfway opened. And then Jesus puts his hands back on the man's eyes, pulls them away, and the man can see perfectly. And you may be wondering, well, what happened there? I mean, did Jesus, like, not put enough power behind him? Did he not zap his eyes, not enough LASIK, you know, LASIK there? Is that what happened? No. This is a living metaphor for the disciples' failure to understand. They could kind of see things okay, 
but they couldn't see things clearly. But when Jesus rose from the dead, he was going to open their eyes all the way and they would understand things much more clearly. But for right now, they just didn't get it. Well, they uh, go to the region of Caesarea Philippi, which is 25 miles north of Bethsaida. And they're walking from village to village and Jesus is healing people and doing his thing. And then he asks them a question. And this is the question he asks them. He says uh, in verse 27, Who do people say I am? And they replied, the disciples, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. And then Jesus asks them this. He says, But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? And Peter, he's the, the impetuous disciple. He's the... Uh, the uh, impulsive disciple, and he pipes right up, and he says, you are the Christ. In other words, you are the Messiah. You are the, the anointed one. You are the promised one. You are the one that God the Father promised to send into the world to save the world. You are the Savior, the Messiah, whom God promised to send. So Peter, well, it sounds like he gets it, right? I mean, it, it kind of is what it sounds like. It sounds like he kind of gets it. But he doesn't get it. No, I, no, he doesn't get it at all. Because look at verse 31. Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man, it's another title for Jesus, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. And it says that Peter pulls Jesus aside and begins to rebuke him. And Jesus, Peter's telling Jesus, ain't no way, man. This is not going to happen. This is not the plan. This is not the plan that we signed up for. This is never going to happen to you. This will never happen. Peter didn't get it. Look at verse 33. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. He says, get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. You see... Peter didn't get it. Peter wanted a Messiah who would reign on a throne, not die on a cross. Peter wanted a Messiah who would reign on a throne, not die on a cross. But Jesus came to die on a cross. Oh, he reigns on a throne now. But his purpose in coming to earth was to die for your sins and my sins. So that if we'll put our faith and trust in Jesus by believing in him and repenting from our sins, confessing our faith and getting baptized, God will wash away our sins and cleanse us from our sins and our wickedness and our unrighteousness and our, and our failures and our faults and our guilt and our shame. And he washes it all away in the blood of his son, Jesus. But Peter didn't get it. He rebukes Jesus and says, no, this will never happen. Jesus says, you don't get it, man. Look at verse 34. It says, they called the crowd to him, along with his disciples, and said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And Jesus spells it out. 
This is what it means to follow me. This is what it means to be a disciple. This is what it means to, to go on this journey with me. And it means three things. There are three things you have to do if you want to follow Jesus. There are three things that it means to follow Jesus. First, following Jesus means denying yourself. It means denying your selfish desires. It means denying your self-centeredness. It means denying your self-desires for pleasure and for power and for possessions. Because those are the things that, that battle for our souls. Those are the things that wage war for our souls. The power, the possessions, and the, the pleasures. And, and everything within us wants more and more and more. We want more gadgets and more stuff and more things and more clothes and more clothes. We want more and more and more. And we have to deny ourselves, Jesus says, daily. That if you want to be my follower, he says, you have to deny yourself daily. Deny yourself. And we live in a world, we live in a society, we live in a country where that's the last thing people do. I want it, I'm going to get it. I want it, I'm going to take it. I want it, I'm going to steal it. I want it, I'm going to kill it. That's the world we live in. Self-preservation, self-gratification, that anything I want, I can have. And I don't care who it hurts in the, in the process. I don't care what it costs in the process. The way of Jesus is to deny yourself. The way of Jesus is to deny yourself daily. Following Jesus means denying yourself. Following Jesus also means dying to yourself. Following Jesus means dying to yourself. Jesus said, if anyone wants to follow me, you've got to deny yourself and take up your cross. The cross is a place of execution, not a place of comfort. It's so weird that we wear crosses around our necks. Now, no offense if you wear a cross around your neck. No, it, it's not an offensive thing. It's, it's just, it's a place of execution. It would be like having an electric chair around your neck. It just, doesn't that sound weird? But the cross is a place of execution. It is a place where people die. It's a place where lots of people died. It's the place where Jesus died. And Jesus died on a cross. And the one thing I know about a cross is that there's no coming down from the cross. You can't take yourself down from the cross. That if you're going to follow Jesus, you've got to be committed to the point of death. You've got to die to yourself daily. Die to your desires. Die to your wants. Die to your selfishness. Die to your self-centeredness. You've got to die on a daily basis. And there's no coming down, like I said, there's no coming down from the cross. It's not a place of comfort. It's not a place of relaxation. It's not a place of ease. It is a place of death. And it is a daily death. It is every minute of every day saying, I choose to die to my desires. I choose to die to my wants. I choose to die to my personal preferences for others so that I can live for others. Following Jesus means denying yourself, it means dying to yourself, and it means devoting yourself. 
It means devoting yourself. Which means you surrender everything to Christ. Where you give up everything for Jesus. And that's scary. Okay, I'll, I'll deny myself on occasion. I'll even die to my wants and desires on a somewhat regular basis. But to devote everything I have, to de devote everything I am to Jesus on a daily basis, every minute of every hour of every day to Jesus, that it's no longer what I want to do, it's no longer my will, but His will. It's no longer what I want, but what He wants. It's no longer all about me, but it's all about He. Now that's hard. Devoting ourselves to Jesus every day is hard. Where you say, you know what, Jesus? Wherever you say to go, I'm going to go. Jesus, whatever you say to do, I'm going to do. Whatever you say to say, I'm going to say. It is no longer my will be done, but thy will be done. That it's not about me and what I want and everything that, that uh, makes me happy and everything that, makes, uh, that feels good for me, but it's how can I live for you and how can I live for others? How can I deny myself, die to myself, and devote myself on a daily basis? Because this is what it boils down to. <clears throat> These three words. Deny, die, and devote. This is the way of Jesus. This is what it means to be a follower of Christ. It's more than showing up for church once a week. <clears throat> It's more than even attending a connection group once a week. It's more than offering up a prayer at dinner. It's more than just wearing a Christian t-shirt or your GFCC shirt. Wear your GFCC shirts, by the way. It's great publicity. Um, but it's more than that. It is a daily, a, de a daily decision to deny, to die, and to devote. A daily decision to deny, to die, and to devote. Sean, we like it when you preach happy sermons. You know, the kinds that make us feel good and tell us how wonderful we are. And you are. Don't get me wrong. You're great. And God loves you just the way you are. But he loves you too much to leave you that way. Because he knows that the best way is to deny, to die, and to devote. And when you mess up, when you wake up tomorrow and go, you know what, that sermon yesterday was very convicting and very challenging, and uh, I'm not going to do that today. Because you will. And I will. There are days that I don't feel like denying, dying, and devoting. There are days that I don't. Because I'm fallen, and I'm a failure. Like I said earlier, there are days I just don't get it. And maybe there are days that you just don't get it. And I want you to know that that's why there's grace. Because there will be days that we do not deny, die, and devote. There will be days that we fall short. There will be days that we mess the mark. There will be days that we mess up. There will be days that we just, we, we, we say mean things, we do mean things, we just get up on the wrong side of the bed and have a bad hair day, and, we're just, and everyone's going to know it. And that's where grace comes in. It doesn't make it okay but it makes it forgiven. And that's because God is good.
even when we're not. So my challenge for you today, for us all today, is that we would, we would deny, die, and devote. And when we miss the mark, and when we fall short, that we would fall into the arms of grace that God has for us all.